0: Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve.
1: Oh, thank you. Hi, everyone. <clears throat> I, uh, what if we just take some deep breaths for a few moments, deep inhales and exhales, Okay, I'm Harvey Asher, sexaholic. Uh, I've been sexually sober 37 years and 10 months. (laughs) One day at a time, one day at a time. Um, Let's take a little time to just review what we're doing here. Uh, We're not here to get anyone sober. Can't be done. No one can get anybody sober. Matter of fact, the steps aren't to get you sober. The steps are to keep us sober. And this is a big problem I think people miss. They say, I did the steps. <laughs> Why am I still relapsing? Because the 12 and 12 book, and naturally our AA and our essay books, assume you're sober. Because if you're not sober when you're reading it or listening to it, you can't hear it anyway, because you're drunk. Very difficult concept. AA says it so beautifully. You have to put the plug in the jug. Plug in the jug. For one day at a time. Then you can hear things That help you stay sober because of why. Why? Why is this 12 and 12 book a way to get help us stay sober? This it has some general concepts that help us stay sober. But watch the basic concept that I spoke about last week. The big picture. We're so much into details. We're such a religious group who tend to put a dot on every eye. And matter of fact, that's what Royal founders shocked me with. A year or two before he died, at a conference, I asked Roy, Roy, why is our definition of sex with self so vague? You've emphasized, Roy, the definition of marriage, or defin- this, that, but not the term sex with self. It's so vague. And if you think I'm exaggerating about the definition, sex with self, which is at the core of our recovery, since most of us were compulsive masturbators. Some people think masturbation is to orgasm only, that you can touch yourself all you want. So long as you don't have an orgasm. <laughs> Other people think it's okay to stand in front of a window and be a voyeur and not reach an orgasm. That's not acting out with yourself. So I asked him all this. And he shocked me. said, why is it so vague, Roy?" And he said, because this is not a religion. Now, all our thoughts, which we think are original, are programmed. We really don't have an original thought. They've been programmed by culture, by parents, by government, you name it. We do have intuitive thoughts, but those bypass the brain. That's called wisdom. That's a spiritual thought. So we have this concept of details. And often I'll say to people, What is the big picture? And as you know, last week, we did a big picture of the word hums. But there's humility and honesty for H, U for unity, M for memory, and S for surrender. But there is a bigger picture that helps us stay sober. Joy in the 12 and 12 book. The 12th step starts at first sentence, the joy of living. Man, if you don't get the joy of living, you're going to default right back to your default, which is lusting which then brings us back to acting out. No, the acting out doesn't bring us to lusting. The lusting brings us to acting out. Now, by the way, people are forgetting this because it's been many years. Roy, our founder, Roy Kay, wrote the essay book. And the other book, Recovery, Continues. People will sometimes say to me, oh, thanks for writing the essay, but I didn't write the book. (laughs) When I sobered up, we didn't even have a book. Roy, our founder, wrote it. And where did he get it from? So much of it? How did he get sober? Through the AA book, the first 164 pages. And by the way, I stand corrected. I said to my knowledge, the word struggle doesn't come into the first 164 pages of the big book, page one through 164. And someone sent me a list. Of at least in that 164 pages, it came up three times. Two times it had nothing to do with alcoholics, sexaholics, had to do with the family. The one time it does show up, and I stand corrected, it was a simple little sentence. Just a few. We do not struggle. One little sentence. So if you see you're struggling, you know you're missing surrender. And if you're missing surrender, you're going to have a tough time with a big picture of joy. I want you to picture something. Picture going into your a beautiful, beautiful home. Your home or mansion or a sanctuary you go into. But let's use a house. You walk in the room, and what do we admire. The furniture, the color of the walls, the space, the windows, the woodwork. What do we not see in that room? We don't see it. The most, the biggest part of the room, we cannot see. The space. We're blind to the space. So we come into this program expecting to just see the details. And I get all these calls and texts from all over the world, people saying, how do I do this? How do I do this? The interest is in the details, not the big picture. What is that big picture of joy? It's going to be there. because it's always there. The space in the room is always there. You just don't see it. So having had a spiritual awakening is that we begin to see in a spiritual way, not with our eyes, we experience the space. Some people call it joy. Some people call it love. Some people call it God. Now, Why am I giving this little introduction? Because in the 12 and 12, the first time we get close to the word God, it's its higher power. Still doesn't use the word God. Uh, This group is so God-focused, yet it's not in the first step. And it starts indirectly, maybe, coming in through the second step. A higher power and tradition, too, which I told y'all last week I was going to try to find the common threads between step two and tradition two. And step two. Kind of indirectly mentions it, but tradition too actually uses the word. But it says a loving God. And then <laughs> wham! Through the group conscience, <laughs> through each other. We're going to hear a loving God. Wow. How that Doesn't make sense. You're talking about God, say, by connecting to God. As you know the history of this divine program, you will see the space. What is the space? The space is the confusion. Our two founders of 12-step programs, Dr. Bob, who was a ultra religious Protestant who went to church from the time he was a little boy and Bill W. And where they referred to him sometimes as a conservative atheist. Bill W. Hardly, he, after his, he was a kid, he just didn't go to church. He didn't pray. <laughs> he was a total opposite of Dr. Bob. And what happened? Two different fellowships developed. One where Dr. Bob lived in the middle of the United States, the Midwest. And the other where Bill lived in the East Coast, in a giant big city, New York City. Dr. Bob was surrounded by Protestants in Akron, Ohio. Bill W. was surrounded by Catholics. Irish Catholics are a big part of his community. Bill had a tough time, believe him. They say the only time he started studying the Bible was when he went up to Akron and met Bob, and they studied the Bible together. And yet, our program is not a religious program. It starts that way, but with opposite poles. And it ends up with this word, God as we understand him. It. Remarkable transition. Because religion cannot cure addicts. Some get it. Not us. If the God you believed in worked for you, why the heck did you need to come into the program? So if you think God alone is going to fix you, I wish you luck. But that's, to me, called insanity doing the same thing over again, expecting different results. It didn't work before you came into the program. And why? This tradition, too, tells us we need God to talk to us, this loving God, whatever it is, through the group conscience, through each other, Now, step one in the 12 and 12 really emphasizes a word we don't talk about too much. The word is faith. (laughs) Faith. So immediately you're going to say, oh, see, faith. You got to have faith in God. Do you know the first definition of faith in the Oxford Dictionary? Doesn't mention God. The second definition does. It says complete trust or confidence in someone or something. I had to trust the program. Even when it didn't make sense. Even when I got frightened that the program was trying to make me into something I wasn't. How can they ask me to take my lust away? It's my energizer. I needed to trust the program. I needed to trust you. Now, how does that fit into our thing? What is trust? It's surrender. It's not going to 10 people to get the answer you want until you find that person. You pick someone, a sponsor. You ask the question, and then you surrender to his answer. Don't ask a question if you're not willing to surrender. That's just struggling. Then you'll get 10 different answers. Or you'll take a, a vote. <laughs> Am I sober enough? <laughs> no, it's a surrender. It's part of the humility. It's part of the unity. Now, what is tradition? And you're going to notice sometimes I talk more emphasis on the tradition, there's a lot of you have heard about the steps. But basically, step one in the 12 and 12 is about faith. It's about our allergy. It's about defiance. We, def- we are defiant people addicts someone tells us what to do and we say heck no we're defiant and step one talks about reliance not defiance
2: harvey you're saying step one each time are you talking about step one or, or, or do you mean step two
1: no i'm talking about step one Thanks. So we're going to get to tradition one that does the very interesting phenomenon of parables. Tradition one is basically about one parable after another. I mean, the traditions, they tell a story. Bill, tells two stories in Tradition 2. Oh, I keep saying Step 1. I meant Step 2. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So Tradition 1 is about faith rather than... No, Tradition... <laughs> step 2 is about defiance and faith and surrender. And tradition two is about parables, about hearing God through other people. The reason I'm gonna keep saying tradition two, one and step one is I have it on the wrong page in front of me instead of where it says tradition two and step two. So let me get it in the right area. Ah, there's a word tradition, too. So I won't keep saying it. It's like me and my children. Some of my sons, I always call by someone else's name and other son's name. (laughs) I'm lucky I handle my wife's name. That's why I call her honey a lot of times, in case I forget One of the two stories in tradition, too. One I am so familiar with. It's my story. It's about a guy who started AA in this small community. Someone 12-step me almost 38 years ago. And he brought me in, and within six months, he became my sponsor. Within six months, he relapsed, and ended up in prison for 33 years. So there I was, basically alone, getting a essay group going in Nashville. And we had one meeting a week, and it started to grow, and I continued controlling it. And then we had two meetings a week, so I had to be sure I'd go to both meetings to be sure to control it. Then we started having three meetings a week. needed to be at all three to control it. Then we went to four, then five, then six, then seven. Oh, we had to be at all of them, plus go to my AA meetings. Needed control, make sure nothing bad happens. Then they started to have two meetings a day. I had to try to get to the two meetings a day. After a few years, each meeting started getting so big, it had to split into two rooms. And I said, God, I got it. I got it. I can't be in both rooms at the same time. I got it. I don't think I have been to an intergroup meeting in decades. I am not a leader in SA, especially in Nashville, because I find leadership stunts the growth of the fellowship. The minute I walk in to a SA intergroup meeting in Nashville, people will freeze up. Hardly the old timers here, they'll either rebel what I'm saying, or they are afraid to give their opinions. My presence negatively affects that meeting. And I had to learn the hard way. The toughest message of all, that I don't run those meetings, that God, as I understand Him, does. Now, many of you know I sponsor a lot of people. I do talks all over. You don't ever see me as a trustee, and you don't see me as a delegate. I rather live as a trusted servant with my type of personality I try and not to, but I turn into a leader, not a trusted servant. That's what step. That's what tradition two is telling us. Trust the group. Now, a group conscience, by the way, is not what people think it is to really understand a group conscience, you need to know about the concepts, the 12 concepts. People misinterpret a group conscience as a vote, a democratic vote. No, there are things called appeals for the minority. What is a group conscience? finally hearing God through the group conscience. So basically, if you have too many people not agreeing with how the vote went, that ain't a group conscience. That's a vote. And also, group conscience is so ridiculously interpreted in my judgmental way. What do I mean? Well, who's voting? Are the people 30 days sober? Are they a year sober? You make a group conscience in a meeting one week, and it could be a whole group of people who aren't sober. And how can you make a group conscience in one sitting? There's a lot of people who were there the previous week are gone forever the next week. So group conscience has an entity unto its own that is very helpful to understand in the 12 concepts, which I'm not very good at. So I keep a low profile when it comes to those kind of things. To my, to my own self be true. What other story do they talk about in Tradition 2? About Bill. Bill tells his story. By the way, that's all we have. We really don't have intellectual knowledge. No one really understands addiction fully. We only have our ESH, our experience, strength, and hope. That's all we got. So Bill tells his story. He was so poor after the Wall Street stock market collapse and he couldn't get jobs well and he was dependent on his wife's family. And he was offered a job at a hospital making good money and he was so excited Going home in the subway to tell Lois, his wife, and the guys who were living in their house at the time, and some other people. And on the subway, he says, I had a little feeling maybe, I don't know, maybe it wasn't quite right, but no, it makes sense to me. And he went and he told this group how excited he was, and there was dead silence, dead silence. And finally, someone spoke up and said, Bill, we can't sell our program. Bill, you can't take money for this. Bill heard God talk through him, to him, through the group conscience. These are all such important concepts because they move us into the secret pockets of our program humility, step one tells us we're powerless. That's a very humbling concept. It says no matter how hard we try, it's gonna happen again. We are without power. And then each step and tradition As we'll see, I haven't gone ahead to see if it fits all this, but if not, I'll manipulate something. But regardless, so what do we do? The humility, the hum, and we're going to ask a couple of people to hum something for us. Daniel did it last week. Do I have two volunteers to hum a song for us?
2: Please raise your hand if you are ready to hum for the group.
1: Daniel, if no one, okay, we got it. Elaine, Elaine, go ahead.
3: Okay. I'm on. Can you hear me? Yep. I, I just, I can just,
4: I'm improvising, okay? All right. O le malalita, casa mia ma pola. La 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 la
1: la
3: la.
4: Ecco.
2: Thank you.
1: Who's next? Thank
2: you, um The person in the number ending in 5967 from Israel, you're up. I'm allowing you to unmute. Star six to unmute, I think.
4: To hum any song?
2: Hum anything.
4: Okay, uh, mm <clears throat> uh, mm-hmm, 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 Thank the you. End.
1: Have you noticed, and if you haven't done it, do it. Hum. You will feel the mm, vibration in your head. You will end up experiencing maybe a bit of that space we were talking about. The space. We are so worried about that space being emptiness. It is emptiness. That's the joy space. We we tend to measure everything by comparing it to excitement of an orgasm but if that excitement was the space of the joy why do we need this program having had a spiritual awakening which entails letting go of memories, old ideas, shaming memories. When you've accepted step one, you no longer are in shame unless you truly never accepted step one that you have a disease, you're without power. So let's kind of conclude with some of these concepts for the individual and for groups. If you pick a sponsor, don't go question asking. Learn to surrender to what your sponsor says. Now, what makes this different from a cult? Well, number one, where do you find a cult without a, a rich cult leader? We don't get rich sponsors through sponsoring. What else is there? You could change your sponsor. You're not forced to keep the sponsor. You can't get kicked out of this program. And I've had to change sponsors every now and then. I do get attached to them. I surrender. But some of them started getting Alzheimer's. And when I could not have faith in their memory and in their responses, even though it might have been my problem, I needed to move on. Very rare happened. Most of the sponsors I've had, I would have for decades. I also have an AA sponsor and an SA sponsor. I never ask them the same question. Because even if my sponsor gives me a wrong reason, a wrong approach, solution, I've won anyone anyway. This I surrendered. How do we surrender to God if we can't surrender to a sponsor. Now, I don't ask my sponsor many things. I don't ask him, should I get a new job? Should I take a job? If I have chest pain, I don't say, should I go to an emergency room? How the hell should he know? But when I am rude or insulted to people or get a rage attack, I'm on the phone really quickly if I haven't made a prompt amend and I work with what he tells me to do. I'm not there to contradict him. So I get to hear God speak to me through this, through my sponsor. I also hear God talk to me through you all. I don't think I've ever been at a meeting where I haven't heard something spectacular from my inner being. A aha uh-huh. If you're not getting uh ahas, you're going to need to check how you're shutting it off during meetings. There are meetings I go to that I might not hear any words, but I experience the honesty, the truth. The surrender, the humility, this honesty, and ultimately the joy. Don't want to end with, I got a a text today from a far, far away country to me. And this person was, just could not get sober. Couldn't get sober. And I'm the guy they ask, <laughs> how do I do it in a text? <laughs> how do I not keep relapsing? And my responses are usually the same. No one can tell you. You already know the answer. You know how to put the plug and the junk for one day at a time. That's all it's asking for. One day at a time. And then we do our step work. We have our fellowship. We have the God of our understanding. And so one day at a time my theme as of these first two weeks is the joy of living. And the question's going to come up for each of you. If I'm not having joy, what is the problem? By the way, some people work wonderful programs and aren't getting joy. A lot of times I'll say to them, bits the big book says it, why don't you consult a psychiatrist? You might have a chemical imbalance. Again, this is not a religion. This is not a cookie-cutter program. But it is a cookie-cutter result having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these things. And if you're not feeling the joy, there's no shame in it. It's just a reality. And the reality is, what more am I, what am I denying to myself? Okay, question time.
2: So if you don't want to be on the recording, you can send me the question in a uh, private message and I will read it out to Harvey. We, we, the first question that came in on the private message uh, goes as follows, Harvey. Um, I have fear vis-a-vis complete surrender to a sponsor or perhaps even the program because my primary challenge in active addiction was codependency and subservience, being submissive, And so the same issue comes about concerning making amends. How do I fully comprehend the difference between the ill versus the recovered approach, even when, for me, they appear superficially similar?
1: You're in deep trouble. (laughs) You're going to have to surrender. I had a sponsor, Jess, who confronted me and said, you make too many amends. A good sponsor for me is someone who will say that. And he said, I don't want you making an amend until you check it with me. Now, want to really hit that question. That's a very good question, but it's purely intellectual. That's what our brain does to us. My disease lies to me through truth. So your disease will say hey, you can't do this because you already have a problem with it. Okay? The disease talks through lies Mm -hmm. by using truth to prevent me from doing the one next right thing. So if you can't trust a sponsor, and surrender, why even ask a sponsor to be your sponsor? Now, this is a real problem for us. I have seen things over decades that people had a help me see by their experiences. We had one guy. Very, very fundamentalist Christian early on in our recovery. He's still on the program now, decades later, who said, I can't come to meetings because Jesus is not used in the word in the steps. A few, so I can't come to these meetings. A few months later, we got a Hasidic Jew a very Orthodox Jew, and he said, I can't come to these meetings, it's in a church. The Christian guy was traveling to another country, became suicidal from his disease, and he ended up calling me from this other country. He was American. And he said, what should I do? And I said, you need to go to a treatment center and get sober. You're just not doing it just with meetings. Let a treatment center help you. So he went and he called me all happy. And he said, oh, I found a Christian treatment center. (laughs) And in my stupidity, I said, oh, no. It was the biggest gift he had. Because they were able to tell him what I could never say. The Christian program was able to say, Your disease is hiding behind Jesus. Your disease is using Jesus to keep you out of your recovery. The Jewish guy. Walked to our conference, did everything his religion told him to do. Our religion told him to do. And got arrested at the conference we were on. And I won't go into what he did to get arrested, but he got arrested. And he was teaching, and I did an intervention on him. And I went to the rabbi he worked under. And I said, the rabbi said, what do we need to do? I said he needed to go to treatment immediately. And he says to the rabbi, but I can't. How will I eat my proper food? How will I go to Travel on the day you want me to travel. It's a holiday, holy day. And this rabbi looked at him and said, young man, you are so ill right now. You can't differentiate one rule from another. You do whatever you could do and get well. Luckily, this clergyman was brought up with, I think, a distant cousin who was uh, Abraham Tversky, who's written a lot of recovery books. And so he was familiar with the disease model. The disease will use anything to keep itself alive and well. I am so long-winded. Thanks for putting up with me (laughs) with all these stories.
2: (laughs) Thanks. And and again, just a verbal reminder to keep all questions related around Tradition 2 and Step 2. Go ahead. Yes. Don't
1: forget, I'm not speaking for SA. These are all my own opinions. I do not speak or represent SA. This is... A workshop I'm giving that, on the 12th and 12th.
2: Thank you. Thanks. Uh, go ahead, uh, Israel, from Israel.
5: Hey, thank you. Can you hear me, Harvey?
1: Absolutely.
5: Israel, from Israel, a good person. Thanks um, Glad to be here. Glad to see you. Thank you. I uh, Probably I, I know the answer this, uh, as you mentioned, but I need to put it in words. Um, some exercises to be to surrender to sponsor. You say you say don't ask questions before you are surrendering. Before you it to surrender. So maybe you have some you know some ways to, to, to get it to be surrendering. Practical. Ones. Sorry, I didn't
1: understand the question.
5: Uh, so, uh there is some ways some exercises some uh, some ways of thinking to get uh, to 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 be ready to surrender before i ask, ask sponsor something you you just said that, uh, you said that that before you ask in sponsor be be ready to be surrendering to the answers so there is some exercises i mean you know I don't, I don't know some ways to get this uh, surrendering Do you understand
1: well, it's an excellent question but I've never experienced it. So I can't give you an answer through experience strength and hope. The day I came into the program, I was beaten. I was beaten. And I realized as this guy, actually, it's a Judson who has over way over 30 years sobriety and used to live in Nashville. And he'd call me and call others in the program. And most of you have heard this story. And he instead of saying hello, Harvey, he'd say, Hi, Aborigine. Hi, Aborigine. Now Many people might not know that English word, but an aborigine are those people who live in the back back part of (laughs) Australia. And finally, it got so... The outback, that's the word. The outback. I finally got so annoyed at him one day I said, why do you call me an aborigine? They have no education. Back then, let's say, in my mind, they're they're not even fully clothed. They're holding spears. Why are you calling me an aborigine? And he said, well, this is how I look at it. If I have a problem or a question, If I go to the furthest outback in Australia, in the wilderness, and an Aborigine is walking down the road towards me, if I ask him that question, the chances are he'll have a better answer for me than I could have for myself. (coughs) Most people aren't beaten down enough to totally surrender. Step one is not, I'm a little pregnant. You can't be a little pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. You're either powerless or you're not There are no absolutes in this program except step one. You are either a sex addict, a hopeless, helpless sex addict that nothing has helped, or you're not. And if you're not, great, go back and do some more. No sweat off anyone's back except maybe your family's. I'm through over the years trying to convince people they're sex addicts. I've used a lot of my life trying to do that in the past 38 years. It's a worthless endeavor for me. I can't ever convince anyone. And recently there's someone keeps coming back and forth in my life. Nice guy, nice family. um, And We're going through the disease stuff. And the last text I wrote, I wrote, I surrender. I cannot break through this with you. I surrender. Because it was about the disease model. He was totally involved in the morality model which could be true, but it doesn't work for me. Only the disease model works for me. You're either allergic to penicillin or you're not allergic to penicillin. I'm allergic to lust. What goes on in my head? I'm not allergic to sex. Most people in the program are still having sex with their wives. And if you have any long-term sobriety, I, I sponsor two people, least who have over 36 years of sobriety and many others sponsor who have long-term, they have sex with their wives. We're allergic to Lust. No one seems to be willing to believe me except a few people. (laughs) I've been saying this message for 37 years. (laughs) People think they're allergic to masturbation or to pornography. You don't do pornography or masturbation without the lust first. Few exceptions. There are some people who are tortured by a condition that's very difficult. And I don't believe it's a loss of sobriety. They're in deep, deep sleep. They're working clean program. And they wake up. Maybe touching themselves. Fast asleep. We have certain suggestions I give to them that helps, that's not happened. But other than that, it's going to be lust. And not religious lust. Moving picture lust. Taking the second and third look lust having to see your naked body in a mirror lust. Very difficult concept. Now, how do you get it? Through tradition two, and then I want to talk about (laughs) step two, because it's in step two, they actually use the word mental illness. Step two says we are restored to sanity. Came to believe. Came to believe is a English term that can be interpreted as having faith. When you believe and trust, that's a form of faith. So what is the faith and the trust? You find a sponsor who is not playing games, who is really clean both inside and out in their recovery, and you have faith and you follow Every single thing they say. And you don't get, I get calls with people calling me, criticizing their sponsor, trying to get me in between their sponsor and their opinion. <laughs> Now, if you can't trust and have faith in your sponsor, find a new sponsor. I had to do that with God. My old God wasn't working for me. The punishing. He's got to get me. He's got to kill my children in car accidents because of my behavior. He's got to punish three generations of mine. I had to fire him. Regretfully, he pops up every now and then. And then I have to fire him again and go into the second tradition, a loving God who watched me do every low-life thing I did and loved me so much he brought me to you. How much more can I ask from a higher power? I do get a little intense, don't I? Oh, well. And then I wonder why it takes me an hour and a half. I'm like a mummy after one of these. I don't talk to anybody.
2: (laughs) Um, Yes, it reminds me when I was first looking for my first real sponsor and, and I wanted what you had. And I came to you and I said, Help me to find a sponsor. And you sent me two of your sponsees. And the first thing I did was I. Opened up a new a new notepad, and I wrote at the very top: "Words from sponsor." Let God talk to you through your sponsor, and uh, and I'm grateful that I did that. Um, okay, we're going to go to a question from Jonathan B. Yeah, hi.
4: Uh, my name is Jonathan. Uh, I'm a sex addict from Germany, and uh, I'm 16 months sober. Um, and my question is, I have a sponsor whom I appreciate a lot and I follow most of his advices, although I, I, I have a tendency to argue with him now. Um, but then there was the case that in the eighth step, he, he asked me to write scripts or what I want to do to, um, to make amends to, to all those people who I'm whom I harmed. And then he asked me also to, to write scripts for all those women I, I've had sex with. Um, and I started doing that. And then uh, lust crept in and I stopped doing it. And then the next time we talked, I I told him that I that I doubt this is a good advice because of the lust, and also because I thought that many of them they they consented to have sex with me they they wanted to have sex with me and and i didn't cause any harm and so he went back to his sponsor and and in the end we ended up that i that i don't go on writing these scripts and then there was another case in uh about dating sober dating where his advice just didn't resonate with me so so again I argued and he asked me to to ask a, a third person a third uh, as fellow and he he said some third thing that that helped me more to I think to to go to go on with uh, with with recovery so do you think I should I need another sponsor because he 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 like I mean because of this relationship is it is it like going the wrong way or something thank you Sometimes
1: um, I've sponsored lots of men through dating and marriage. But so part of my sponsorship is to say, this is not part of my experience, strength, at home. I've not had to do this. Let me give you some names. And I give them some names of people. And sometimes they actually get what's called dating sponsors. The question is, for me, let's say for a sponsor, do you think I'm ready to date? Sometimes I say yes And it's the biggest mistake I make. After about a year, I usually say yes. And the person starts getting crazier. Just crazier. And I'm able to say, I'm going nuts. I can't handle this anymore. That's all you ever talk about. I made a mistake. <laughs> for my mental health, can you stop dating for a while? <laughs> and I've had this happen to think a few times. They've said, thank you so much. I need it for you to say that. But I have to be real careful about sticking to my experience, strength, and hope, or telling them stories of other people's experience, strength, and hope, and anonymously without choosing names. Sponsors are just other sick people, too. But it doesn't matter. My wife wanted me to fire a sponsor, my next to last sponsor I had in AA for a long time. It took me four years. I don't listen to my wife about my program, but she was able to see things that I was... I knew, but I was pushing away. And we talk all the time, uh, not all the time, every three weeks or so, we're good friends, but I had to say to him. With COVID, it's impossible. You don't hear well. I pick older men who are retired, but I'd like them to be available. I said, it's impossible for me. You mean well, but you're hearing things that I'm not even saying. And I need to move on. Now, how do you know, do you fire a sponsor or not? I don't know. But you do know that if you fire one and the identical thing happens with the next one, You know it has nothing to do with your sponsor. And this is another tough message to get across. People think it's our character defects that are the problem. No, The sixth and seventh step says the good and the bad. Only those that interfere with my usefulness to others or we haven't removed. So With that that in mind, it's not the defects, it's the pattern of the defects. So quite often you will find people who have fired one sponsor after another. Now, if that guy isn't married and isn't dating, you need to, I don't know, you don't have to answer me, but this is a general principle. Then why, why even ask him the question? You ask him a very different question. Do you have any sponsors of people you know who have successfully dated and stayed sober and married in recovery? See, we set... From step two, where it says we're defiant. We're automatically rebelling. And I'm going to be very straight about this one. If you have to argue with a sponsor, you're in tough waters. Because all you have to do is simply tell your sponsor your truth. Hey, I get too aroused writing this list. I don't feel safe. Doing it. Your sponsor isn't your taskmaster, but if you're not being straight on and you're just asking him, oh, I don't, it's too much, not, he needs to know the details. I could not do a first step on a relationship I had to my cousin. It got too arousing years ago. And how do you know it? If you start feeling aroused, man, you push that paper away. Next question.
2: Go ahead, Max.
3: Uh, hey, Harvey. Thank you so much for doing this. And uh, I really appreciate it. Um, I'm wondering your process. You, you said you'll, I think what you said was you never ask
0: the same question to two sponsors, one AA, one SA. So how do you decide who you're asking what question?
1: Uh, through trial and error. In the crucible of our experience, I once shared something with my AA sponsor. And he said, um, you should not have long-distance sponsors. You need to meet with them, etc. And I had set it up by asking him something about someone from another country. There was an essay. It's not a problem in AA, but in SA. It's tough because my sponsors were always long distance. Like Jess lived in Montana. I lived in Tennessee. He was my sponsor for 10 years. I had another sponsor, lived in Kansas, lived in Tennessee for years and years. I put him in a position. And I had to learn. But that's not the real issue about sponsors. Many people in this program, especially from certain communities, will ask five, six people the same question. God, are you looking for trouble? And it's not you who's looking for the trouble, it's the disease. A lot of times the questions you ask your sponsor concerning should I or shouldn't I, you already know the answer. When you're doing something and it's okay, it's not even cross your mind. When in doubt, do without until I've reviewed it with Vice So simple. I I need to live by simple principles. Why? Because my int- brain, my disease, shares my brain. And it shares my IQ. If I'm bright, my disease is very bright, intelligent. But it will always win because my disease always lies to me. It immediately will tell me the other person is wrong and prove to me I was right. And cursing out my daughter-in-law, which I've done with 20 years recovery. It will always prove it to me because it lies to me. So I can't trust my brain. And I've had some negative repercussions from listening to my sponsor. Especially certain interactions of my saying certain things to my children. And, um, but I won. This yes, I surrendered. Now I got brought up in SA with a different group of thoughts. That may be other people. It's not right or wrong. It's a different orientation. Do not go or contact anyone you've had sex with in the past. If there's a statistical chance, once you write to them or text them, it opens up the whole bag. But it's not just the right. It's just the way that my recovery culture was and it's worked for me. The worst amend I ever made was I contacted a sex partner without contacting my sponsor. This was early in recovery at the, um, I was drunken with some fraternity brother of mine and I exposed myself and he, 40, 50 years later, I'm calling the guy to make an amend. He was so happy to hear from me. And then I make the amend. I harmed him. I could tell immediately. He might have just repressed the whole thing, and I brought it up. That's my best thinking. Some And one of my sponsors who had over about 56 years of recovery in AA, he said to me, there are some amends that are the most difficult amends you'll ever have because you can't make them. You have to take them to your grave This it would harm the other person so much to bring it up. That was his opinion. I followed it. But I was willing to do it. And that's the difference with that eighth and ninth step. People forget there are th- Two parts to that eighth step. And then the ninth step, it said, make a list. We make a list. If we can. If even writing the names down are too stimulating, then you try to do it orally with your sponsor. If that's too stimulating, then you know you're not up to writing the names down. And then the second part of the eighth step said, and became willing to make it. And then the nine, it, and ninth step says, you make it unless it harms someone. <coughs> but you've already been willing and willing to have the consequences. But the sponsor helps me know which ones could harm someone. Even though I might have thought I had good intentions. Next question. We'll stop at four o'clock, everyone.
2: Okay, so go ahead, uh, Jan.
4: Hey, uh, Jan, great for recovering sexaholic. Thank you, Daniel. And thank you, Javi um i harvey i would just uh, like you to speak on the like the importance of having a higher power with uh, a conscious uh, conscious conscience or consciousness uh, or at least a perceived one because i've met people in the program that uh, their higher power is a turtle and I personally I doubt the like validity thereof, uh, but this might just be my um, yeah my filters come getting in the way of somebody else's um, you know actual benefits.
1: Good question. I'd like to take off in the word your focus. No, your programming. We truly think we have free thinking. It's all been programmed in. And once that program gets in, it's all but impossible to ever get it out. And so what happens is we, the most tolerated, become the most intolerant. And yet, if you get 10 Christians who have truly given their life and will to Jesus Christ, and you ask them to describe Jesus to you, you will probably get 10 different responses. And if you ask Muslims to describe Allah or Hindus to describe Shiva or Jews to describe the four-letter word, which is represented by, in English, the word Lord, you'll get different answers. Who are we kidding? We automatically use religion and politics and sports and you name it to separate everyone. And yet, as we learned underneath these traditions and in the steps, it's based on unity. Without unity, where Eddie Rickenbacker wouldn't have been able to survive like we talked about last week. So we try to connect to our similarities, not our differences. Everyone Tends to look down on the other person's God. Well, most people could get away with it. Addicts are going to have trouble in this program. And that's why, thank goodness, you don't hear a lot of evangelic stuff going on about religion. We are evangelists, but about recovery in the 12 steps. So we can't even throw stones at other groups. We're very evangelical. We go out to save the world of addicts. (laughs) The God I came in with is so utterly different than the God I have today. And many of you have heard this, but I had a awakening, a a very deep awakening after about 10, 11 years. I was sponsoring this young kid and. and he was so happy he called me I was jogging and he called me on the phone and I was outside and he said "Um, I found God in my understanding and I said to him out of nowhere I don't know how it even came out you know how angry you're you are your father, and your father is a minister. Be sure you don't exclude Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I said that, and I said, what the hell is a Jew saying that to a Christian? How can that be? And then all of a sudden, I remember how my Catholic sponsor in AA would say, Harvey. Stop complaining about going back to synagogue. Just go back already. Stop this complaining. And at that moment, crossing this bridge, I had this awakening that God was bigger than religion. I can't even say it without... My heart bursting. In AA and SA, we connect through our similarities, not our differences. And the moment I get judgmental about someone else's God, I'm back in my active illness and I'm a tremendously judgmental person. But the difference today is I'm more aware of it. Whenever I say to myself, how can someone believe that story from their religion? I start to laugh. And I say, Harvey, how do you believe some of the ridiculous stories you believe in in your religion? Who am I to throw stones? Now, one of my sponsors was an atheist, and he's been sober in AA for. 30, um, 38 years. 37, maybe. And um, who could figure it out? I can't. This figuring it out means I go back into my brain. And this is a spiritual program from the Latin word spiritus, which means. Breath. Our unity in this fellowship is based on that book title, The Spirituality of Imperfection. We connect through our imperfections, not our perfections. This once we're perfect, then we're God again, and then we don't need a God.
3: Next question, Ben? Yeah.
2: Go
3: ahead, yes. Ben. uh, uh sexaholic. Um, basically, I I got uh, one of my uh, questions answered as far as um spirituality goes um, and I, I heard a lot of good things about sponsorship um, and and sometimes with my current sponsor like he's a lot less uh conventional and um I guess I've had sponsors that were more religious. I, I don't know if that's the right word, but yeah, had more religious back, had a different religious background, more religion. Um, and so it's throws me off sometimes and I don't know how to quite deal with that at times. Um, and also what progressive victory, um, And a couple of my sponsors have had different definitions on what it is to break sobriety. So a couple of my questions have to do with um, what it is to break sobriety. And how do you know when you're getting progressive victory? Um, I had two years at one point and relapsed about three weeks ago. And um, so, yeah, back, you know, back to the basics. So that's, that's all I got.
1: There's a wonderful uh, part of Recovery Continues. All of Recovery Continues is a great book. But there's a part called Obstacles to Recovery. Um, I often tell people to read it and figure out what their obstacle is. And progressive victory, for me, is the top plate. That you cannot see the plate underneath until the plate is removed above it. And it's a process, and pretty much a never-ending process. I I cannot rest in my laurels. If I'm not moving ahead, I will not stay in the same place. I will go backwards. I'm convinced. In AA, they use the term, how to keep the twig green. I used to do 20 things every morning when I wake up, of gratitude count on my fingers. A few years ago, I said, Harvey, you're stagnant. Raise it to 30. The other day, I realized I must have done at least 35 of them. <coughs> Whatever it is. It's the disease is growing stronger every day inside of me. Like any allergy. A peanut allergy... When even when you're not eating peanuts, is getting worse every day. And then if you forget and years later you eat peanuts or take peanut oil, you're not going to break out like you did originally. It's going to be much worse. I just sighed. You know, I think I'm getting tired, exhausted of trying to still that personality problem of mine, convince you you have a physical allergy accompanied by a mental obsession. That we're not bad getting good, we're sick getting well. And at some point I need to accept I can't convince anyone. I keep thinking somehow I'm going to break through. wish you all luck. But Jen, that was a, a, a very good question, but you already know the answer then. You know what happened. And I'm not, you don't have to, but maybe you could just take a breath or two and share with us what you think happened.
3: Yeah, um, thank good sexaholic, Ben for short. Um, yeah, I I was just going through uh withdrawals, um, both full replay, just, just getting really irritable that I wanted things to work out how I wanted them. So some fixed magic control and I had stopped really being in the center of the fellowship. I just kind of let my guard down. And, uh, so I think that's how, That's what happened with uh, with me um, having sex with self, and um, by the grace of God, I ended up calling people after I had after I relapsed. um, Right after it, Um, I knew I knew I should have made some calls at that point, you know, but. I was just like, I'm too tired to do so. So, yeah, um, I now realize that uh, I'm really powerless over this lust thing. <laughs> so that's all I got. Thanks for sharing.
1: There is something I read not too long ago, and they said, questions are really worthless, as we already know the answer. Questions prevent us sometimes from being honest with ourselves. And we don't have to run away from the answer and go into shame over the answer. We just need to say, ah, is there something I could do to prevent the same patterns? We tend to repeat the patterns. With 20 years sobriety, when I verbally, violently cursed out my daughter-in-law, and I did my inventories and all, it turned out it was because I was being so dishonest putting up with certain of her behavior for so many years because I wanted her She was of a different religion, and I wanted her to raise my grandchildren in my religion. (laughs) And she was. And so I was afraid of ever saying anything back to her when she would give me the middle finger or say other things. So I ended up exploding 10, 11 years later. And it was really my dishonesty because of selfish reasons. And now I look for that pattern. When I get angry at people, when I have a temper outburst, right afterwards I try the best I can to say, Harvey, how did this come about? Can't be them. This is an old pattern of yours. Humility, honesty, unity, memory, bringing up the patterns, and surrender. Let's take the last question and then I'm
2: done. So we had a question in the chat, and it's a great one. Being restored to sanity seems to assume that I've been sane at one point before. How do I know when I'm achieving sanity?
1: Uh, the S- the uh, 12 and 12 calls insanity, and then it says insanity, And then it says sanity. And it says sanity is sound thinking. Uh, I'm not one of those people who ever had sound thinking. So I can't really identify. Since I was a little boy, I've been paranoid. I've had visual hallucinations where my Sunday school teacher would be dressed and I'd see him naked, and I'd see his wife, who was a teacher, naked, having sex with each other, and I didn't even know what sex was. Even today, a young woman will smile at me and say hello, and I get an auditory hallucination. I hear are saying, I want to have sex with you today, Arthur. That's also a delusion. She's in her 20s and I'm 82. I'm convinced I'm insane. But I get restored to sanity somehow by being able to be mindful of my Insanity. (laughs) So my sanity that I'm being restored to is I'm mindful of my insanity. And my sound thinking, how I'm being restored is I don't listen to my head. Harvey, you don't need four or five meetings a week. You're beyond that. No. My sound thinking is, Harvey, don't listen to your thoughts and believe them. So I'm being restored. But it's a daily reprieve based on my spiritual condition. You know, the sixth and seventh steps said says um. God will task God to remove it. It never says He does remove it in that section. It never says it's removed. It says we ask God to remove. it. Humbly ask him to remove it. And then what immediately happens, the eighth and ninth step. We're told indirectly we're told you want to be removed? Keep cleaning up. Making amends where they're needed, especially to yourself. I deserve better than having my whole life lived in my head. None of which is real. Okay, group. Know you're tired, most of you in Europe. A tough group, in, in Asia. Um, next week we will do step three and tradition three, and see where it takes us.